Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. I definitely try to communicate with a partner, with a potential mate, to be like, this is what I like to do, or this is this is how, you know, sex works for me. And then maybe they're like, okay, well, this is how sex works for me. And maybe we find a compromise. Maybe I learn new things. Maybe I open up a little bit more, right? Re- being respectful of my own sexual desires, but also being respectful of others and what they see and what they need. Hi, my name is Isaac Archuleta. And today's episode brings us to a fascinating conversation around sex, relationships, and demisexuality. James Dean, today's guest, shares pieces of his experience and the tips and tricks he has learned along his journey as a demisexual person in both the dating and hookup scenes. I hope you enjoy. Let's take a listen. My name is James. (laughs) I'm from Los Angeles, California, born and raised. Um, And I came out around the in 2016 so about six years ago at the age of 22 and I was very much just thrust into the like gay lifestyle of it all in West Hollywood as you know many people know it's very very it's like a a very um stereotypical gay nightlife kind of scene right it's very um and so I just think being a part of that led me to see so many people around me be very sexual be very um open to hookup culture and stuff like that. And when you've just come out and you immediately are um, like privy to that, you see that first, you think like, that's what it's like. That's what you need to be a part of. That's what you, you know, to be, that's what you think queer culture is. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I quickly found out that that's not, you know, and, and mm-hmm. going through and, and attempting to be, you know, on Grinder and these apps and, and try to hook up culture and just slowly realizing like, I can't do it or it, it, it just wasn't something that was really comfortable for me. Um, and always thinking maybe, you know, maybe I just don't find these guys attractive or maybe I have a low sex drive or something like that. I just thought that that was what was wrong with me. Um, and then looking into demisexuality, figuring out the asexual spectrum and realizing that not everybody is, you know, a hypersexual type of person. Not everybody needs to, you know what I mean, meet someone and immediately have this animalistic need for sex and stuff like that. Um, so that's where, and then I did a little bit more of a deep dive and then I found other people online and, you know, that's where I found comfortability in it. It's like, okay, it's not just me. There's other people like me. And a lot of people see it as like, well, everyone likes to have a, a, a connection with someone, right? But it's 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 a different type of, or I describe it as a different type of um, like need in terms of sex. It's like a like a legit um, for for like I don't I don't know how to explain it. It's it just needs to happen before I can even think about sex, kind of thing. Um, and uh, as well as being on the asexual spectrum, so demisexual also means like you're not always sexually attracted to people you're not your sex drive isn't always on it's not something that needs to happen you know what i mean you are able to be sexually attracted to people and have that sexual desire but it's not always on as it is for for most people you know what i mean yeah. well, this might sound like a, a, a kind of a if or then kind of question kind of narrow thinking but what does feel always on for you I I mean I'm very much still like find people attracted but it's less like I want to have it's less like I want to have sex with them immediately it, it's more like 
I think they're cute. I want to get to know them. Uh -huh. Or I think they're cute. I want to go on a date with them. Very much that type of thing where like, I see an attractive person and I want to know more. I want to know, you know what I mean? If you are a decent human being and someone who can hold a conversation and stuff like that. And if those boxes get checked, then yes, maybe, you know, I want to have, you know, have sex with you or something like that. But if it's not the immediate, like, I see someone, I want to have sex with you, no questions asked, no conversations needed, you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I have some really um, clinical thoughts <laughs> on demisexuality that we'll get to in a second. But okay. when you do see this attractive person and you get to meet them, what do you feel like clicks on? Is it um, connection, safety? What is it that takes it from just attraction to sexual desire for you yeah i i think it is like that um sense of humor that back and forth that i guess it is a connection um it is kind of like a i like you you know very like elementary school like i have a crush on you type of thing that gets turned on that lets me know like okay i want to have sex with this person like if i don't like you um with you know with air quotes or whatever i don't have a crush on you or whatever then i don't think i can continue to pursue you sexually mm -hmm. because it won't be there for me like you're you can be physically you know a, a, attractive or whatever but i think if it, i don't have that connection mm -hmm. that like you know back and forth conversation and sense of humor then i will not be able to have that sexual desire for you in any way mm -hmm. yeah when I think of demisexual, the kind of the, the phrase that comes to mind is like emotional intimacy. Really interesting kind of that uh, connection for sure. And I'm just wondering if there was someone out there who was maybe having your experience without ever hearing of demisexuality. What would you say that transition feels like from attraction to connection? Is it a sense of... Um, belonging is it shared knowledge that you're both interested um i think it goes from basically the the need to feel i guess more like you meet this person you like this person and then you immediately have this want for them if that makes sense which is right both like a double-edged sword where like it can very much lead to you know Un, unreal expectations on yourself right you meet this person you want this person but you never know what their intentions are so you you become pretty um, cautious on your own attractiveness you're like oh this guy is great this guy you know what I mean I find him attractive I like them but also like I don't know if they're feeling the same way I don't know if my my demisexuality is leading to my heightened need for them right um and so I think it's just making sure that after you find that connection and attractiveness, it's like um, communicating with them on their feelings because it could very much be, you know, a quick thing, right? You meet them, you have one or two dates and you're like, okay, I want to pursue more. And maybe on their end, they're like, okay, well, I'm taking it slow. Mm -hmm. So you have to just communicate the way you're feeling and the way that you are expecting things and then hope, you know, it moves forward. For sure. I think communication is obviously so important <laughs> yeah definitely but I also kind of um I think for people who experience demisexuality that communication 
can play a very particular role. Of course, we need communication in all areas of life. But I think that for someone who isn't demisexual, let's say that they're really feeling the sexual attractions without any of that emotional intimacy. If they're dating someone who's demisexual and there's no communication, the lack of sex could almost feel like rejection or like they're being mm-hmm. turned down. Have you ever experienced any of that? You're, you look like you have. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I had like, I, that's how it is in relationships. I have to, I've learned to communicate about my demisexuality and just my shit like and what that means to to my partners i've had an ex-boyfriend who very much was um not as privy to that and not as like okay i understand this is how you are but this is what i want kind of thing which is fair right he he communicated his needs but it's very much like they can definitely feel unwanted or unattracted if they want to have sex with you right your partner that someone that you've actively communicated with and they're like and you as a demisexual just like i'm not i'm not currently in the mood or i i I don't have that sexual desire that's as ramped up as you are and so like i very much like having someone right cuddling or all that good stuff like intimacy for all intents and purposes um even just like sitting on a couch together is, is is enough for me on certain aspects but it's like in terms of pure sex it it when it's on, it's on, right? I, I do feel sexual desire for people, but it's not always on. It's not always something that I am actively looking for, needing, you know what I mean? And, and when you have a partner who, if, you just, if you've established a relationship with, they can expect like, okay, we're together. Well, you know, why aren't we having sex every weekend or every whatever? And you just have to communicate like, it's just, it's not you, you're right. I, I still have an attractive to you. I still like you. Like I want you to be in this, want to be in this relationship with you, but I just don't have the sexual desire for it at all times. Um, I need the multiple intimacy at all times, but maybe not the sexual um, physicality of it all at all times, like some people do. Do you notice that this is a, a really weird way of me saying it, but is there like an on off switch? Um, I can maybe give some examples because in some way I, this is, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I identify in Demi in some ways, but I definitely can feel like after a deep conversation or a meaningful experience that, that, um, that the experience of feeling the deeper connection again, almost kind of activates sexuality for me. Do you feel there's triggers or anything, or does it just feel kind of random? it for me is a little bit more random um because I have had partners where like something you know very memorable would happen to us maybe we go on a trip maybe we go you know what I mean we, we have something that's special to both of us and even in those moments as much as I love that person I don't immediately I'm like let's have sex here or let's you know let's let's do something here it's not that it's more like it, it for me it is a little bit more random in the sense that like maybe I don't know we're home on a Saturday and we're watching a movie and you know the movie has something sexual and I just like actively I'm like let's have sex now let's you know what I mean let's do it now or maybe it's planned in in some way which is like kind of takes out the the intimacy of it all but planning sex is very big for me as well it's like let's do it this day plan for it i i have that sexual desire frustration kind of that, that anticipation brings that frustration in me that like okay now i i am able to perform i'm able to do it da, da, da. um 
and it's it's very much um, more random than it is like if something memorable were to happen i would immediately think to have sex which can be again can be frustrating for other people Mm -hmm. um but just making sure i communicate like the fact that you know the emotions are still there i i the the want is still there it's just the sex is not always a thing Mm -hmm. for me absolutely yeah the plan planning for sex does it um kind of help you get kind of prepared for it does it feel like you have to or does it just help you feel safe like you know when your body will be shared with someone else what does that plan do for you yeah I think I think the plan definitely does provide a sense of safety a sense of like this is it's going to happen this day a little bit more of a comfort on my end um and again, the, it's very much more an anticipation of it all. It's like, okay, we're going to do it this day. Okay, the day before, you know, there's a lot of anticipation or two days before it's a lot of, or, you know, on the drive over, stuff like that. So it's like very much um, an anticipation that brings in a, an excitement for me um, that helps me. And then again, planning it with the person you're with brings a sense of safety, a sense of knowing, a sense of like, this is what's going to happen. We have this time for ourselves. It's, it's for us and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you seem to think about sex in a very very beautiful way (laughs) in the sense that um well let me back up a little bit I feel like a my bias is showing here and if there's a straight listener they might like want to write and be like what the hell's your problem (laughs) yeah but in general I feel like queer people understand their sexual orientation with a lot more sophistication, a lot more depth, because we're thinking about it from a very young age. What does this mean? How does this happen? Where did this come from? Why this gender, not that gender? And I kind of wonder if there's even more depth than just maybe the typical queer person. Maybe it's your personality or your relationship with sex, but it seems like you think about sex in a way that, um, is respectful of you and your body. Is that fair to say? I would say so. I think, again, being a part of um, so many, uh, being a part of a culture that is so hookup centric and uh, you see a lot of people, um, you know, have sex with people on a, on a random Friday night on Saturday, like you, and you hear the, you know, the stories of your friends and what they've done and it's all fine. I, I am very sex positive. I support, you know what I mean? Everything that everyone does. It's just like, I see all that and I'm looking for more of the intimacy of it all, more of like finding someone special to have sex with maybe on a recurring basis, right? You find your, your, your partner and you explore so much more sexually with that one person you're able to teach each other so many more things experience more things with each other um, on a sexual level and so like I like to do that with one partner right or I would and obviously having that level of um, comfort in each other to do those things requires a level of like not necessarily sophistication I guess just just you have to um, give them a, a sense of respect for your sexual um, needs and that you can't really build on if like you are having sex with this person and then you know next week you're having sex with this person and you have all these things where like the other person might not feel comfortable and stuff like that so I think I've just established a way of like I like to explore and and develop my sexual relationships with one person mm-hmm. and build on that 
than, you know, um, have multiple sexual partners. I guess it's more quality for over quantity for me. Sure. Yeah. I, you're really helping me kind of find words for what I'm fishing for here, but it sounds like you're really respectful of your version of sexuality. Like you've really yeah. found out what works for you, what doesn't. And it sounds like you really have drawn some really good boundaries for yourself to say, this is what makes sex enjoyable for me. It's not for everybody, but for me. Yeah, definitely. And again, it's the communication of it all. It's like, I definitely try to communicate with a partner, with a potential mate to be like, this is what I like to do, or this is, this is how, you know, sex works for me. And then maybe they're like, okay, well, this is how sex works for me. And maybe we find a compromise. Maybe I learn new things. Maybe I open up a little bit more, right? I think it's just re being respectful of my own sexual desires, but also being respectful of others and what they see and what they need. And if, again, if maybe we can't come to a compromise, I have no problem being like, you know, it's, it's not going to work or maybe it's not, you know, it's not for us and that's totally fine, you know, moving forward and, you know, et cetera. It's, it's just communication. I've learned it's very, very important. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The story keeps coming to mind, so I'll share it and we can do with it what we want. But yeah. um, my very, one of the, one of the first guys that I ever dated, um, approached me at work and hit on me and I I thought like wow that was really sweet and really kind I didn't feel any physical attraction though and not that he was ugly or not that he was beautiful and like it wasn't this confusing thing I just didn't feel it at first and the more that we talked on the phone and the more I got to know his personality like each time I saw him after that he became more and more physically attractive to me Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I, that's one of the ways that I feel demisexuality at work in my body. The more I become emotionally connected, the more I find them physically, like visually attractive. It's a very fascinating thing to experience. Have you ever felt anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've also had like an experience at work where um, I flirted with a coworker and it, it, you know, was a very um, platonic kind of friendship for, for whatever reason. And then it went into the more we got to know each other, the more we had in common, the more, you know, our, our, the more, the longer we worked together and, and talked, the more I'm like, maybe I'm attracted to this person. Maybe I, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm sexually excited for this person. And I think it's definitely just establishing a relationship and building on that, that also helps um, with, um, sex because you already have an established relationship of communication with that person so that communicating your needs during sex or sexual acts or being able to respond in certain ways you're not scared to tell someone um, what you don't like you're not scared to say no in the moment stuff like that um, so when you already have an established relationship with someone of communication communication during sex is so much easier because you're not afraid of what they'll say or you're not worried about you know if I say no this is going to happen or you already know the reactions and stuff like that so it's it's just so much easier on that end as well so it's definitely worth it to, to build on a relationship that's already there if you'd like to be a guest on the show we would love to have you bring your questions concerns as an anonymous guest or share your work in the queer community with the world I'm so excited to say that Queer Relationships is downloaded in over 23 countries. 
And as I always say, we need one another. So if you think your story or your work can help others, send us a message. You can email us at querylationships at iamclinic.org. That's querylationships at iamclinic.org. Now let's get back to the show. It sounds like what you're doing is, I mean, in kind of my clinical language, it would say like you're setting the tone with vulnerability. Like when I'm vulnerable and like we're talking openly, we kind of have the experience of vulnerability sets in motion the experience of trust. When I'm vulnerable, I can trust how you're going to respond. I already know it's coming. And it sounds like you're kind of talking about that in terms of sex. And I do agree with you. That's a really beautiful thing to, to do and to trust about your sexual partner, how they will respond. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's, and again, it doesn't come with out trial and error, right? Because I didn't really know about my demisexuality, about my boundaries that are needed to be respected without past hookups or, or attempts at, you know, sexual relationships with people that just didn't work, right? So like, not everyone is going to understand your boundaries. You're not always going to know how to communicate with people. And I think that trial and error is, is important as well. You know, it's like, you can't just be scared of sex altogether because, you know, maybe someone doesn't, you can't find someone or you, you have to be able to willing to try. Mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, just be safe. And, and you know what I mean? Keep, keep trying. Absolutely. For sure. You know, I often say this, um, I say it on the podcast often, but A lot of us got the birds and the bees talk, but that wasn't helpful because we needed like the bees and the bees talk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that in this way, it's maybe even mindful for educators and parents who might be listening to think about expanding that talk. Like I'm thinking about maybe you or me as little children and, or, you know, preteens, pubescent little creatures with hormones spouting up things in different areas and thinking about, what would it have been like for our parents to talk about like, this is what your body will do. And maybe it will do this only after you experience emotional connection. And if so, these might be some boundaries you want to think of. Mm -hmm. What would have been helpful for you to maybe save some of those trials and those errors? (laughs) I mean, it's funny because I think when I, I don't know if I got the direct talk. I remember just my parents you know, in a Latino household, they just told me, don't get a girl pregnant, right? That was like the talk, <laughs> essentially, um, which obviously not not going to happen. But it's sure. just like, that's all that's all the sexual conversations that we had. Um, and I think as well as learning to be emote, like, I think people have to, it'd be smart for people to communicate to, you know, young, younger people, just the idea of like emotions behind sex that, you know, you don't have to have sex without emotions because then it's like a very um, scary thing to pro- probably go through. If, if people just have sex to have sex without any sort of emotions behind it, it's very scary. Right. Um, and I think it, it just, if, if like, if what I would want to hear um, as a younger self is just kind of like be able to communicate and say the word no you know what I mean don't be afraid to not want sex like just because other people are having it it, it'll happen in its own time um and yeah I I I don't know I'm trying to think of like what I would want to hear as a younger person um in a a sexual kind of talk like this but honestly I don't I don't know 
Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah, I think I what I'm learning from you, and it's even kind of giving me a renewed sense of like dignity or self-confidence, but it's kind of like, hell yeah, boundaries around respecting my sexuality in my experience of it and holding up and asking for sex and sexuality, those interactions in a way that is really respectful. I do think that, I, I don't know, I guess to answer my own question from your example, I think I would have wanted someone to say, hey, Isaac, if you are experiencing some type of demisexuality, holding boundaries around what works for you, probably would have saved me a lot of error in the sense that I spent a lot of years trying to navigate the queer community with a non-demisexuality, like doing things with people that I really didn't want to or doing it before I wanted to because I felt obligated or guilty. And I think someone teaching me about the boundaries that you have developed would have saved me a lot. How, how do yeah. you think you developed those boundaries? I mean, trial and error, but was it just a lot of self-respect, kind of organic for you or did it come from pain? It was, I mean, it's, and this is trigger warning. It was very much from, you know, um, sexual assault, right? I think it's like when you go into a um, hookup culture, right? You meet people on these apps, you go in thinking the best and it doesn't always work. And sometimes you say no, and sometimes they don't listen, right? It's like you learn to say, you learn to A, be more careful with who you um, are around more sexually, right? And B, you also learn to say no right off the bat. You say, you learn to communicate and be verbal with yourself very easily. If you don't like something, say no. If you don't like something, stop in the media. You know what I mean? I've just learned that from that past experience. And it's only happened once, thank God, but that's that's all it took for me to very much take it in, be like, I'm, I did not like how this went. I'm not going to go through this again. And because of that, I'm not going to even give myself the opportunity to write. So establishing boundaries is very much something I do very, very easily. Um, I, I get that's also kind of my personality type, right? Because some people, you know, unfortunately that happens to them and they they go back into a shell or they very much are, are scared and, and you know what I mean of, of moving forward and um, exploring sexually all over again because that that is very much a traumatic thing for a lot of people. And I guess my personality type was just like, no, this one thing that happened is not going to dictate my entire sexual life. And it's not going to overshadow so many things that I could possibly do for myself. Um, so I just become more of a stern person. Um, and, and on the opposite side, right, I've learned if someone says no, I stop immediately. If someone is iffy, I make sure they're okay. You know what I mean? It's like, it works both ways where I also want to make sure that I'm never putting someone else in a situation where they're uncomfortable to communicate. You know what I mean? And that's very much why my technique sexuality is because I want to not only find someone I am emotionally attached to, but also find someone who is emotionally attached to me enough to communicate openly, right? And need that emotional intimacy with me so that my partner, right? My sexual partner is also comfortable, you know, saying no, or maybe not today or blah, blah, blah. And then they're not worried about anything because that's, it's a mutual connection, not just, you know, it's not just my demisexuality, it's, it's also theirs. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like you're having really good conversations around consent and letting- A hundred percent. And not even that it's just one conversation, but that consent is ongoing for new experiences and new 
Yeah, 100%. It's because, yeah, because consent can be taken at any given time. And that's, again, that's established less in the queer community, right? I think the gay community, we do not talk about assault as much. We do not talk about the need for consent on a, on a revolving basis where like, just because someone agreed to come over doesn't mean they're agreed to having sex. Just because they agreed to having sex doesn't mean they agreed to do X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? And so I think as in, in the queer community, we need to have a little bit more of a conversation on consent and, and revolving consent in, in that matter. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think that one other aspect in addition to consent or maybe it's part of the consent conversation for some people, but what role does sex play for you in the sense of is sex an emotionally bonding experience? Is sex just a physically pleasing experience or is it both? Because I do think that some people fall on that line. Yeah, I, for me, it's more just emotional um, because like I have tried to have a sexual like I've tried to have sex without any sort of emotional intimacy behind it um and it just doesn't work for me it doesn't you know what I mean I, I can't perform for lack of a better term so it's just it's not it's not my thing um and so it's definitely like if I decide to have sex um it is something that's a little bit more special it's a little bit more emotional it's a little more like connection with someone else and less like physicality of like I I need to you know get get off and I need someone to help me kind of thing right which some people can do many many people can do right which is just fine for them and that and that's respected it's just like I I can't just like want I don't want sex and need it in the immediate and then go look for it you know what I mean that's that's not something that that I do yeah absolutely I kind of wonder and this might be someone can write us a comment or share something but I wonder if there's a, a demisexuality where that switch is turned on right like the connection is there now they want the sex but then does the sex become only physically pleasing I'm just curious about that because I think that may be possible um but yeah just something that crossed my mind Yeah, no, I mean, probably because, I mean, it's like kind of on the asexual spectrum, right? And I think demisexual is is right in the middle of that spectrum, but maybe a little bit more to the right spectrum between demisexual and complete sexual is someone that, that does that, right? Where once that emotional intimacy is established, they are able to have physical, you know, a tr- physical sex without, you know, emotions attached with certain people. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. that. Yeah. One of the things that, I find really curious. I I find some people might use the term demisexual to say that they might experience sexual arousal with any gender that they feel that emotional connection to, that maybe the emotional connection is the only precursor for attractions or sexual arousal. I find though that as a pan person, demisexuality also plays a role. So I'm, I, I'm attracted to maybe one out of a thousand people in a female body and like 999 male bodied people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for that one little sliver, I do say pan because it is a real experience for me. But even though I'm attracted more to people in male, um, to male gendered people, 
I do feel still that the sexual arousal is only turned on because of that emotional connection. So to me, it almost feels like demisexuality kind of um, modulates or activates or turns off my sexuality, even though it's still pointed towards male gendered people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I believe so. I think it's because it like like just like as if you were a regular se- or a sexual person and you're a homosexual person, you are attracted to every man out there. And if you are a heterosexual person who is you know, also really sexual, then you are attracted to a lot of women out there, right? And if you are an asexual person, but you are homosexual, you are emotionally attracted to men and only men, right? Mm-hmm. And not not sexually. So I think, yes, demisexuality is just like another aspect of your sexuality. Mm-hmm. So like, if I am homosexual, I, I'm not attracted to women, but if I, so, but like, say if I was, right, if I was bisexual, then I would need to have an emotional attraction with women in order to have a sexual relationship with them, mm-hmm. because that's like, kind of not necessarily the precursor but it's just like another aspect of my sexuality it's like i'm not i'm attracted to men but i'm not attracted to all men i'm only attracted to men who are who i am able to establish an emotional connection with Mm -hmm. right so it's like this bucket and then it goes into like a smaller bucket of men i guess exactly makes sense it does yeah totally yeah i've heard a lot of people and it's fair you know i'm not judging them at all it's just a, a highlighting a difference that some people I'll, you know, I'll watch someone say, oh, I'm gay. And then another person will say, I'm Demi. And to me, I'm kind of like, but I'm a, I'm a mixture of both. And I feel like mm-hmm. sexuality, some people is their sexual orientation. And for other people, demisexuality is the way that their sexual orientation functions, even though they're hundred percent. So I just, I find that really fascinating. Yeah, because I think, and it's more spoken in, in like asexuality because you can be asexual, but like homoromantic, I think it's called, um, mm-hmm. where like you only find a, a, a romantic establishment with the same sex. Um, but something like that where like, I don't know, demisexual, I just say like, I'm a gay demisexual, you know, kind of thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. All the alphabet soup. <laughs> <laughs> Very much that. So important, for sure. Um So I find, let me maybe preface this in in a good way. I'm not sure that there is a correlation between demi or non-demi and what we prioritize. So let me give you an example. This is, I'm phrasing this as a question for you. Um, When, let's let's say a non-demi gay guy wants to attract someone he might go to the gym and like perfect his body or obviously have a charming personality but as a demi person do you feel like you put more emphasis on who you are as an emotional being more than who you are as a physical being or is it both does that not really cross your mind Mm, yeah when it comes to relationships i 100 percent do not i i don't worry so much about my physicalities of it all as it is my 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 personality in person right if i'm going on a date yes i want to right i I mean i'm a human i want to look good but like i don't spend hours looking up um 
um, an outfit or I, I don't spend, you know, hair and makeup, stuff like that. I literally focus more on like, okay, let me try and be funny. Let me try and, you know what I mean? Let me learn more about him and, and try and see if there's a connection. Like the personality route is more important to me in relationships than it is the, um, the physicality of it all. Like, even if, like, I, I worry less about someone's um, looks than I do about their personality kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to come across as like, I know you're not doing this at all. I just want for people listening to know that that mm-hmm. question isn't coming from like a one up, you know, hoity-toity <laughs> people are going to care about their emotional beings. That's not what I'm saying. But oh. I just wonder if there's a different focus on what we cultivate. You know, if, if I find my sexuality activates with visual arousal, then maybe I might be more inclined to be visually pleasing. And that would be totally fine. And there's nothing vain about that. Um, I kind of think about like the, you know, the, the um, idea of like a mating call or being attractive in the way that we experience attraction. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not to say like the gay community or the queer community in general doesn't highlight, right. Physicalities, right. In a lot of aspects. So like a lot of gay men at the gym are doing it to have sex with other gay men at the gym and stuff like that. So it's just like, it's not like, a wild thought to think like oh do you worry about that as a demisexual it's like no i don't but i believe that people do which is fine totally fine yeah absolutely if you could kind of address the queer community at large and maybe advocate in some way for the demi community is there anything that comes to mind or something that you think about often like hey i wish other queer people knew about this um I, let me think if I had to speak with the queer community. Um, I think that we focus a lot. I think we as a community are very much like, oh, we're all about hook- hookup culture. No one wants to date anymore. Very much that. But I also think that we are also scared to date in a sense because of the hookup culture that is so prominent um, that we believe that every man just wants to hook up with you and we are scared to let some, we are scared to establish so much more um, emotional, you know, relationships with people um, because right. That, that, that means you have to give your time and your effort to, to someone that it might not always work out. But I think that so many of us in the queer community have been scorned to the point where like they give up, they don't want to date anymore. And not in the sense of like, they only want sex and health culture, but it's also like they've been, you know hurt by other people after establishing relationships and they've become so scorned that they don't want to do it anymore and so it just begins it just continues that revolving door of like no one wants to date well no one wants to date because everyone believes that everyone else doesn't want to date kind of thing mm-hmm. um so i just think like we as a community have to have a little bit more of a leeway to like just build on emotional relationships and not be afraid to try again and like find that person um that again that's coming from like a demisexual who has to establish that in order to have sex right um so i'm not scared to try and try and be emotionally um connected with someone but like i think uh, at large the, the queer community is very much like everyone wants to hook up no one wants to stay anymore it's really hard to find a boyfriend stuff like that where it's like you yourself also have to like try and like you know not be afraid to date and not be afraid to to, to establish a connection and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't believe me i know so i just think at large we just have to try a little bit more that. 
I do. I left a little pause there because it was a, just such a good sound bite. It, it does feel like hookup culture is a great thing for a lot of reasons. I think there's a lot of like beauty in the sexual liberation and, and queer people being able to embrace their experiences of sexuality. I do wonder sometimes if it has blocked our ability to practice that emotional vulnerability to understand mm-hmm. what it is to to see it foster and nurture emotional intimacy not that everybody's looking for that but i do think a lot of queer people are dying to fall in love and to find that kind of connection so yeah and it's hard um it's hard mm-hmm. it is very hard Besides hookup culture, do you think that there are other things blocking people from experiencing that kind of emotional connection? Maybe like the um, scene because we've been closeted for so long or? Yeah, I think, I don't know, because there are so many things to help us establish relationships, right? With social media, with, um, you know what I mean? All of these dating apps that aren't centered right directly on hookup culture that I feel like there's a lot of ways that we can establish um, like relationships and even friendships via the internet without like, it's kind of like a a dip in your toe in in that sense where it's like you can establish friendships without really having to do anything because they're on social media, they're your friend on social media. But then, like, you close your phone and you go about your day. You know what I mean? It's, it's very much a, 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 a toe dip into that, that world. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think there's anything else that's, like, really keeping us other than, like, our views on hookup culture and the queer community as a whole mm-hmm. that, that we only want, you know what I mean, one thing, which many do, but it's, it's not the only thing, or maybe many don't. It's, it, you have to just find those people. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's a it's a mixture of like finding the person who wants to create that emotional connection and someone who um, is willing to develop the skills to do it. Because as a therapist, I'm very well aware that it takes a lot of skill building <laughs> to not only yeah. Yeah. but to keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the pandemic didn't help either, right? Because we were away from so many people for so long so many queer spaces have closed unfortunately because of the pandemic so it's just like you have to get used to um getting back out there and being social and maybe we've we've lost a lot of our social abilities right not being able to see so many people and for so long and and you don't really know how to work your way around in some places now so just reestablishing that is hard as well yeah absolutely yeah Communication is a very important aspect of many relationships, obviously, but I appreciate the ways in which James describes the importance of open communication in a relationship within which one person is demi. Communication gives the relationship a very important pace, particularly so that all people involved can keep up with what is and isn't developing on the emotional plane. The pace set with open communication allows growth to happen simultaneously. One of my favorite quips for clients is clearly communicate to calibrate. What I mean by this is that communication will help all people involved feel aligned as the relationship and or sexual intimacy blossoms. When we understand the interplay between emotions and sex, we have a much more mature respect for the micro moments 
where vulnerable sexual and consensual advancements are made and then fail. In these painful moments, the non-demi-person may feel inadequate, while the demi-person may feel bombarded. If this is happening in your relationship, have a good conversation that creates a vulnerability that stabilizes trust and safety within your relationship. Protect the self-esteem and emotional terrain within yourself and your others. In graduate school, one of my textbooks was very gendered. Shocking, right? I know. It was a sex therapy book. Halfway through the book, the author created two lists, one that described the cishet female criteria for emotional connectedness, which according to the author was the prerequisite to feeling ready and eager for sex. The other list was for cishet men, who according to this author needed certain criteria during sex that allowed them to feel ready and eager for emotional connectedness. I remember reading through his two lists and finding myself in each one. And now, several years later, of course, we have a ton of research to prove that emotional arousal, sexuality, sexual fluidity, and the human body are way too diverse for only two routes that can lead to emotional and or sexual intimacy. We now have an incredibly robust understanding of how emotions play into sex and vice versa. But what remains in the research as an echo of some of the facets of my old textbook is the idea that some of us need sexual intimacy to feel emotional arousal to others, while others, like today's guest, need emotional connectedness as a means of experiencing sexual arousal. And of course, because of sexuality's fluid nature, arousal is a spectrum. And as many of you know, the key word that I always put emphasis on when talking about sexuality is safety. Safety will register in different ways for different people. For those who find hookups fun and enjoyable, it may be said that they experience safety in totally different ways than those who identify as demi. For this very reason, just as we embrace the full spectrum of sexual orientations and gender identities, we should also embrace all presentations and all expressions of the sexual-emotional arousal spectrum, from those who enjoy being part of the hookup culture to those who do not, and every other version in between. When we honor one another's recipes for sex and gender, we allow ourselves to embrace inherent value. Let me explain. I love, I mean, I really love, the Chantilly cake from Whole Foods. That shit is incredible. But because of my family, we have a lovely little disposition for diabetes. I don't have it very often. But this time of year when my birthday rolls around, I start to anticipate its deliciousness all over again. Just bear with my silly little metaphor here for a while. But Chantilly cake doesn't perform for me. It doesn't lure me in with its smell on purpose, it doesn't spice up its flavor for me, and it certainly doesn't get all decorated as a way of enticing me. Chantilly cake in and of itself is enough to make me go wild. When we let ourselves be the Chantilly cake that our partners enjoy, we realize that we don't need to fabricate some sort of show. We don't need to curate a performance to be enjoyed. When we embrace our inherent value, all we get to do is know that without any zhuzhing, we are what our loved ones are excited about. 
As a queer clinician, I get to talk about and help all sorts of people make sense of their sexualities. I have noticed that for some, demisexual is the best label for their sexual orientation. For others, however, I have observed that demisexuality is like a spice added into their sexual orientation. In fact, I feel that way personally. My sexuality is somewhere along the sexual-emotional arousal spectrum wherein I am most attracted to male-bodied people, and I don't necessarily need emotional arousal to be turned on. But emotional arousal does in fact allow me to experience sexual experiences in a very different way, almost as though I experience a different depth and a different type of bonding when emotional connectedness has happened first. All this to say, respect what your body does and doesn't do, and be confident in setting boundaries that protect your body. When we become sophisticated at consent, we learn to practice and expose ourselves to people who will respect our bodies and learn how to identify the people who will not. Learn about your body so you can articulate what you will consent to and what you won't. Using all the data you have about your body and the way it responds to sex and emotional arousal gives us the ability to use a set of values, practices, boundaries, and ways of protecting our bodies and our emotional climates so that we can avoid shaming, traumatic, or challenging circumstances, and this is a great way of honoring our bodies. What will you give your body consent to do, and what will you consent to someone else doing to your body? Remember, consent doesn't just have to be physical. It can also be emotional as well. Emotional consent allows lovers and sexual partners to set boundaries not only for what they will do physically, but where they will allow their bodies to go emotionally. For a demi-person, this conversation not only helps set realistic and relationship-honoring expectations, it also creates a dynamic of empathy for one another's internal experiences of sex, not just the physical ones. Emotional consent, when talked about often, can be a very exciting process when sex becomes more than just a fun hookup and turns into the development of love. Knowing that the people of the relationships are allowing and experiencing the same emotional rise is not only so fun and exciting, but when everyone is on the same page, it feels like solid safety. To today's guest, your experiences, insights, and wisdom have changed the way I respect my body and challenged me to be more empathetic in my own relationship. Thank you for sharing what you have learned, because I am sure it has benefited many. Until next time. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.